0: Welcome. My name is Darren. I'm one of the Shepherds on staff. Many of you I've met and know, but if you're a guest with us or you're visiting with family or you were just looking for something to do before the football game starts, we're glad you chose this. Um, if uh If you are from the neighborhood and you're visiting with us, we hope that uh, you will give us the opportunity to do whatever we can to help you feel at home here and to see this as your regular place to worship together, but we're excited that you're with us today. Now, we're in an ongoing study in the book of uh, Genesis. We're going to dive into Genesis 28 here in just a second, but let me make one quick note. Um, Being Super Bowl Sunday and Super Missions Week and all this, uh, we had talked at one point about doing a... uh, a Super Bowl party this afternoon and, you know, kind of setting up a screen and whatever and doing that here. But with the team being a local team that's playing in the game today, uh, we really felt like it was a better opportunity for us to be connected with our neighbors and connected with friends and kind of a a to-do-a-thing off-site of church as opposed to doing it here. So we aren't doing a big Super Bowl party. After the, uh, the Taco Man and the opportunity to hear some of our missionary stories ends, we're encouraging all of you to go and be with your friends and invite people over to your home or go and be in somebody else's home or find a space to be an ambassador, enjoy the game, but be in connection with people in your circles. That's a big deal to us around here. We don't want to be so internally focused that we miss the opportunity to engage with other people. So this is a great day to engage with others, whether you like football or not. Uh, It should be fun. So there's that. Now, as we come to Genesis twenty-eight, uh, just to catch you up on where we're at, if you were with us last week, we saw all the scheming and the conniving and the and the manipulation by Rebecca and uh, Jacob in order to get this blessing, which would have been Jacob's anyway, right? We saw Esau frustrated so much so that he, he decides he's going to kill his brother Jacob. So Rebecca comes up with a plan, and she tells Isaac, Jacob's father, we got to send Jacob away from here uh, because he can't have a wife from these Canaanite women because Esau has these two Canaanite wives, and they drive me crazy, and I'll go crazy if Jacob marries a Canaanite woman. So uh, at the beginning of 28, we see that Isaac reaffirms the blessing to Jacob and sends him to his uncle's land in order to find a wife, right? So Jacob basically flees. And while he's leaving to go and find a wife, don't miss the fact that, that Jacob is running for his life here. That he would not have left if the threat of violence wasn't looming, right? Esau had said he was going to kill him. So Jacob's leaving and he ends up isolated and fearful and alone on this journey So it's worth just thinking about the fact that all of that stuff that Jacob did last week, the hair on the arms and the lies and the blasphemy and the trickery and all of it, all of it did not acquire for him a greater share of the blessing than he would have had otherwise, right? So it's not like he gained anything from it, but what he actually, uh, the, the byproduct of the result is that he ends up alone and isolated and afraid and sort of on the run. We also see at the beginning of Genesis 28, there's a a quick section between like verses six and nine that talks about Esau recognizing that his mother and his father were frustrated by his Canaanite wives. And so in order to try and build some kind of rapport with them, he goes and marries another wife who's a descendant of Ishmael. Uh, That's not an endorsement by any means of polygamy. It's not a great solution even to the drama that's happening in Esau's life. But it is indicative of the lengths that we will go to to try and reshape or reform community because we're built to be connected to other people. And when that community falls apart, sometimes we go to desperate measures trying to appease those who are frustrated with us. We don't see any place in, in the Bible where it, it appears that Esau's attempts to repair that are actually successful. Uh, certainly marrying a third wife or, or another wife, is, uh, it, it doesn't solve the problem for our purposes this morning, we're going to primarily look at what happens starting in verse 10 through the end of the chapter. And this is a dream. In fact, if we were to sort of subtitle this chapter, you might subtitle it as Jacob's Dream. Some of you may have heard of Jacob's Ladder. There are a lot of famous songs over the years that have been written about Jacob's Ladder or about Jacob's Dream. That all comes out of Genesis 28. Jacob is running for his life. He's running to his uncle's house. And on the way, it tells us here in 28, that he stops to make camp for the night. He lays his head down on a rock for a pillow. And God appears to him in a dream. Now, there are all kinds of places in the Bible where God speaks through dreams. And it is worth paying attention to the dreams you have. We would not say that God is always speaking through every dream. I I have a recurring dream, actually, that... Happens in this room. I have it almost once a week. I I have a dream that happens to me regularly where I, uh, uh, in my dream, the band finishes the song right before I'm supposed to preach. I'm sitting over here in the front and uh, as soon as the song ends, I realize that I have not prepared a message. Uh, not only have I not prepared a message, I don't even know what book we're studying. I have no idea what I'm supposed to say, and it's my turn to walk up. The microphones are on, and I got nothing prepared. And it's what I would consider to be like a stress, like panic attack dream. I have that regularly, and you all are in it, so congratulations. Uh, I, I'm i not saying that that dream is a uh, is a message or an oracle from God, but it is a great catalyst for me to do my homework. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to be in that spot. We We sometimes have dreams that have value and they have meaning. And it is worth paying attention to them because in the Bible, we do see that God sometimes speaks to his people through a dream. That's certainly the case in Genesis 28. God comes and appears to Jacob and Jacob's eyes are opened to the presence and the blessing of God in some ways for the first time. So let's just read this together and kind of walk through it a little bit. It says this, Jacob left Beersheba and he went toward Haran And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob is on the run. Jacob is afraid. Jacob, as a result of his own manipulation and scheming, now finds himself separated from his mother and father, separated from his homeland, separated from the place that he lived his life, and and in fear of his life at threat from his brother. And God comes to him in the midst of this dream, and the the point of the dream is to affirm that he is not alone. I I don't know about you, but I think all of us have moments in our lives, different seasons of our lives, where we feel like we're on the run. Maybe there are times where you feel like you're fleeing mistakes you've made or you're fleeing broken relationships or you're fleeing a season of your life you'd rather put behind you. But sometimes there are seasons of your life where you're on the run or you feel like you're in isolation or you feel like a bit of a refugee because you've been driven out, because the people no longer want you there, because they've chased you away. No matter where and when you find yourself on the run, it is a season of feeling some shame. Some loneliness, some isolation, some confusion, having questions both about who you are and what you're doing where you are. And certainly Jacob's feeling all of those things. And in the midst of that isolation and in the midst of that loneliness, God appears to him in the dream. Now it's interesting as we read the dream, if you're, if you have one of our Genesis journals and you're the kind of person who takes notes, I might encourage you to circle the word behold or underline it every place that appears in this dream, because what's happening, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like Moses when he writes this is, uh, is setting up camera angles for us, right? It says, Jacob lays his head on the rock t- to sleep and God gives him this dream and behold, there is a ladder that goes from the earth to the sky, goes from the earth to heaven. And behold, there are angels ascending and descending. So there's like this increasing revelation, like, whoa, there's this ladder. And whoa, there are angels going up and down on it. And whoa, there is God. So it's almost like the lens kind of pans out. And Jacob in his dream is made aware in succession of these astounding things, of these things that are worth beholding, if you will, right? Behold, there's a ladder, a connection point between man and God. And there are angels, these heavenly ambassadors or emissaries, these, these angels that do the work of God, ascending and descending on the ladder of the staircase. And behold, God himself is there. And depending on the translation you've got, It either says that God is at the top of the staircase or he is at the bottom next to Jacob. And an interesting turn in the original language, the passage here could say either of those. It's not very clear whether it's pointing to the fact that God's at the top of the ladder or he's right next to Jacob. I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter where God's standing. The point of the dream is that there is a connection point between Jacob and God. And there is a a sense of transit and communication and sharing and giving. There is a road, a pathway for fellowship and communion between God and man. And God is with him. And in fact, then God, and there's another behold in the midst of this. But God reaffirms the covenant that he made with Abraham and with Isaac now to Jacob. It says in verse 13, behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, there's another one of those, right? I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Behold, there's a ladder. Behold, there are angels ascending and descending. Behold, there's God. Behold, He's with me. Behold, he is with me. I'm not alone. I may be on the run. I may be fearful. I may be isolated. But the message and the point of this dream that's being articulated to Jacob is I'm here. I'm with you, right? God reaffirms the covenant, which is a, a covenant that promises place. He promises him land. It promises him people that there'll be, uh, there'll be a mighty nation, that his descendants will be like dust on the earth. They'll spread east and west and north and south. And it's a promise of blessing, not only blessing for Jacob and his descendants, but, but a promise that that blessing will spread through Jacob and his descendants to all the people of the earth. This is particularly relevant on a Sunday in which we're celebrating our partnerships with missionaries and ambassadors around the world. That God has said to Jacob, I will bless you. I'll give you this land. I will make you a great people. But I'm also going to bless every person on the face of the earth through you. And there God is pointing, and we'll see this in a few minutes, God is pointing ahead to Christ. God affirms the Abrahamic covenant and people and and places and provision, blessing for all people, but mostly his presence. Behold, I am with you. And then Jacob, uh, Jacob wakes up in 16. Jacob wakes up. Now it's worth noting as well that Jacob wasn't seeking God. That Jacob wasn't seeking God. In this particular story, it doesn't tell us that Jacob gets to this particular spot where he's alone and fearful and by himself and unsure of the future. And he gets down on his knees and said, God, will you reveal yourself to me? We don't see that in the story. In fact, we don't see that Jacob's pursuing God at all. In fact, we see the opposite. That Jacob is actually kind of shocked that God is there. That God is present. That God is speaking to him. It seems like that sort of jars Jacob awake. It's worth noting, as a as a bit of a side note, but as something of theological importance, that that God comes after us, that God pursues us. I know sometimes that makes us feel a little uncomfortable, right? Depending on your theological background, when I say that God pursues us, uh, that might do a little thing in your head. Maybe it doesn't, but it might do a little thing in your head where you go, "Hey, look, God doesn't pursue man because God doesn't need anything. He's all sufficient. He's completely content in and of himself. He has no needs, and therefore he doesn't come after people because he doesn't need us." Well, it's true that we believe God is all sufficient and it's true that we don't believe God needs anything. And we believe that God is sustained in and of himself, that he's in perfect harmony, father, son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity to all eternity. But it is equally true that there are places in the Bible like this one where the people that God interacts with didn't go looking for him. He showed up in their business. Does that make sense? That's good news for us. It's good news for us that sometimes you don't even know what you're looking for. You might have come through the doors of this church today not really knowing what you need, but thinking maybe church has something you don't have, right? You might have come through these doors today because you're running or because you feel like a refugee, because you feel alone and isolated, running from the past or running to who knows where. And what I want you to see in the story, among other things, is that God will show up in your life even if you don't recognize at the time how desperately you need him. Right? That God will pursue you. God is the one who instigates this dream. He's the one who shows up. Jacob wasn't seeking him, but God pursued him in the midst of his running. Now, Jacob wakes up, and this is in 16. Jacob wakes up aware. His eyes are open. It says, Jacob awoke from his sleep, and I love the exclamation of this. Jacob awoke from his sleep, verse 16, and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I love that, right? He goes, God is here, and I had no idea. This is so cool, right? Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. We're going to come back to this in a second, but it's worth noting that Jacob didn't know that God was there, but Jacob also didn't recognize something that we also affirm, which is that God wasn't just there, and that God isn't just there, that God is everywhere. It's possible that you today have come into this building again because it's your expectation that God somehow manifests himself in a church building in some way that is particular or unique. And what I am hoping is that through the course of the study this morning, you will see that you will have your eyes opened that no matter where you are, no matter what you're facing, whether dark or light, whether fleeing from or running to, that God is there whether you know it or not. God is there. He wakes up and says, wow, the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. says he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. His eyes are open to the presence of God. Uh, we, we all have moments where our eyes are open. I think I've told some of you the story before. Forgive me for the redundancy, but one of the scariest things that ever happened to me as a kid, I was in like uh, third grade and I woke up in the middle of the night and I realized that someone had moved me out of my bed and uh, I had gone to bed like any other night, kissed my mom, whatever, that sort of thing. And I'd gone to sleep and I wake up, I, I'm like rocked awake in the middle of the night. And I realize something's wrong because I'm not in my bed. I'm lying on a, a cold, hard floor. And not only am I lying on a cold, hard floor, but I can tell that I'm tied up, right? My legs are tied up and I can't see my hand in front of my face. It's pitch black. I don't know where I'm at. So I start to panic. My heart starts to beat really fast. I'm just a kid. I I roll up onto my hands and knees and I start to crawl just to see if I can get out of the space where I am. And I immediately bump my head into something. I turn around and go the other direction. I bump my head that way. I turn every direction and I realize in the pitch black, I can't see anything. I realize not only am I tied up, not in my bed, not in my room, but that I'm like in a box. I'm in some kind of a small box. And so it slowly dawns on me in the darkness in the middle of the night that I... I've been kidnapped, that something terrible has happened. I'm not in my home, and I don't know where I am. And so I start to do the only thing I can think of to do, and that is to scream. And I'm screaming for my mom, and I'm screaming for my dad, and I'm screaming for somebody to help me and deliver me from the situation I'm in. And I'm terrified. And then the next thing I remember is a a bright light. And it's not like an angelic visitor, that would have been cool, but just a bright light. And then when my eyes adjust, I, I realized that I'm lying on the floor and I look up and I can see my mom and she's standing in the doorway of the front bathroom in our home, which was right across the hallway from my bedroom. Turns out, uh, now that the light's on, I can orient myself. I, I realized I'd gotten up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and I'd gone into the front bathroom and I'd, uh, I'd use the restroom and then I'd just laid down on the floor and gone to sleep. And I thought I was tied up because my underwear were around my ankles. Uh, and uh, in the pitch black, I... I I basically tried to crawl and bang my head into the toilet. And then I turned and went the other way and banged my head into the bathtub and then went the other way and banged my head into the sink. And uh, I wasn't kidnapped. I I hadn't been bound up. Nothing was, I was just a stupid kid, right? I was just a dummy. And I will tell you, there were two things that happened simultaneously. When the light got flipped on, when the light got flipped on, immediately there is, I'm just washed over with a sense of relief. Because I can see where I actually am and I can see who I'm actually with. Because my mother's there, because I'm in my house, because I'm kind of in my pajamas, right? I'm in a place that's familiar to me and all I needed was the light to be switched on so that I could be aware of where I was in actuality and who I was with in actuality. Now, with that light, there was also incredible shame, right? Because my pants are around my ankles. And so there's a little bit of uncomfortability and awkwardness. But that shame and that awkwardness was chased away by the overwhelming sense of comfort in being in the presence of my mother. What God is doing for Jacob in Genesis 28 is flipping on the light. Jacob is feeling like his life is over. He's away from everything he knows. He's running away. All of his plans have resulted in him being out in the middle of nowhere by himself. And God shows up in this dream. And he says, I see you and I'm with you. And there is access between us. And I will bless you and I will prosper you. And I'm not gonna turn loose of you until everything I've promised has come true. God is making him aware of both where he is and whose presence he's in. As a result, we see Jacob worship. In 18, it says, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it, right? He's looking for an opportunity to worship. And so he consecrates the rock he was using for a pillow. He sets up his pillow rock and he pours oil on it as an act of worship and sacrifice. Verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. You hear, you hear the awe right? You hear the worship that results simply from the light being switched on in Jacob's life. He felt like he was in the dark. He felt like he was tied up. He felt like he was alone. And all of a sudden he sees that God is there. And so there's this worship that results. There's this adoration. There's even a vow. And uh, theologians kind of argue about his vow. And I'll, I'll hit this really quick. I don't want us to get hung up there. But there are some who will look at his vow and say, well, this ain't that great, right? Because it's a bit of an if then statement, right? It appears in our English translation, like he says, if God does all the things he said he's going to do, then he will be my God. And some of the commentators and theologians will say, well, that's not perfect faith. That's not pristine worship. That's conditional. You know, that's, a, that's kind of like a halfway mark. It's not exactly what we would hope to see from one of the forefathers of our faith. It doesn't actually sound like he believes in God. It sounds like he's still bargaining old Jacob, right? There are others who will look at this and say, in the way it's translated, it feels like an if then, but in reality, it's just Jacob affirming what God had said and then affirming his piece of it. Now, I don't know which of those it is, but if I were to take a guess, I would guess that it's the if then statement because I know my own life, right? And I know that my worship is very seldom pristine and beautiful. It's very seldom free from any selfishness. It's very free from. Uh, it's very seldom uninterrupted or the kind of thing that would be great on display. My worship is kind of hit and miss. My worship is strong in moments. I can be over here singing praises to God, and then sometimes be distracted by how many light bulbs are in the room, or what I'm going to do later, or whatever. Right? I, I don't have. I don't have amazing faith all the time. And when I look at Jacob and I see him have his eyes open, the light gets switched on. He sees that God is with him. He sees where he is and he comes back and he worships. He pours oil on his rock pillow. And then he says, God, if you, if you will do all these things, like you've said, then I'm, I'm down. I'm with you. Yeah. Is that perfect? No, it's not perfect. Does it feel real? Does it feel true? Is it better than the Jacob we saw in 27? It sure is right So what might this be? It might be Jacob with a faith that's on a journey, with a faith that's getting better over time. Yeah, it might not be, you know, we flip a switch and Jacob is awesome. And for what it's worth, we're going to keep looking at the story of Jacob and he's not going to be awesome in the chapters ahead either. I think that only backs up the argument that this might be the beginnings of faith. It might be an origin story of faith that will grow. Isn't that true of all of us? So my encouragement is for us to give Jacob some grace and maybe more importantly, because you giving Jacob grace doesn't really matter. Maybe more importantly, why don't you give yourself some grace and why don't you give the people sitting next to you some grace and why don't you let them be on a journey where sometimes their faith is pristine and beautiful and worthy of honor and sometimes it's kind of sucky and that's okay because they're human beings just like you, right? And we walk this path together. God flips on the light, and Jacob sees that God is with him, that God will keep his promises. And he affirms it and he makes a sacrifice and he pledges to give God a full tenth of what God blesses him with. As we finish, and, and that's the whole story, right? That's the whole story in 28. There are three questions that stirred in me as I was prepping the sermon this week. And I just want to ask them to you in succession. I just want you to think about them, right? The first one is this. Is it possible for you, and and I I was asking myself the questions first, but is it possible for us that God wants to turn our hideout into a sanctuary? I, I don't even know where you're hiding. I don't even know what that might mean to you, right? In your life, the places where you're hiding, the places where you feel like you're alone, the places where you feel confused, where you feel fearful, the places where you feel like there are all kinds of unanswered questions, the places where you feel like you're on the run, Is it possible that God wants to take your hideout and turn it into a place of worship, a place of adoration? Is it possible that maybe what feels to you right now like a dark bathroom floor with your underwear around your ankles is actually a place where God wants to flip on the lights and say, I see you and I'm with you and we got this. Well, I answer the question. I think certainly God can turn your hideout into a sanctuary. I think God can turn this moment of running away or this moment of doubt or this moment of fear, he can turn it into a place to meet with you, to connect with you, to to be on mission together. God meets us many times in the dark and reminds us we're not alone. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. I wonder if it's possible for you today to say with Jacob, oh, the Lord is here and I didn't know it. You might feel like you're alone. You might feel like you're in the dark. You might feel like you've got all kinds of questions and doubts And those things might even be true. You might be on the run. But is it possible that God wants to wake you up? He wants to flip on the light and say, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I got this. That God wants to turn your hideout into a sanctuary. The the reality is uh, that you cannot find a place where God isn't. You can't find a place where God isn't. It's funny that Jacob's surprised that God is there, right? Because you can't find a place where God isn't. Now, we do sometimes fall into the trap of wanting to make a particular place more sacred than any other place, right? You maybe have had moments in your life like this one in Genesis 28 where God revealed himself to you in a profound way. Maybe you're at a Billy Graham crusade. Maybe you're at a Christian camp meeting. Maybe you're in a little Bible study in someone's home, and God revealed himself to you in a powerful way. And what can sometimes happen in our minds is then we go, well, God met me there, and so he will only meet me there. Or God met me like this, and so he will only meet me like this. I need to recreate these places. I need to recreate these times. If I have a criticism of Jacob's response in Genesis 28, if I have a criticism, is that he kind of misses the point. The point of what God is saying is not, hey, I will meet you at Bethel, and if you want to talk to me, come back here because there's a ladder at Bethel. What God is saying is it doesn't matter where you are, I'm with you. That there's nowhere you can go, right? We want to have the light switched on in our lives to recognize that there isn't a place that you can go where God isn't with you. That God isn't present and and engaged. And we don't want to make it about this place or that place. We don't want to make it about this song or that song or this preacher or that preacher. We want to recognize that, that God can meet us anywhere. And we want to have our eyes open and our radar up for where God's going to meet us next. Right? Where God's going to meet us next. The first question was, is it possible your hideout could become a sanctuary? The second question is, is it possible that your pillow could become a monument? That one probably feels a little bit weird at first, but I I think it's kind of weird that he takes this rock he laid his head on, and he's like, I need something to commemorate what God has done. Uh, Oh, I'm going to use this rock pillow. I'm going to set it up. I'm going to pour oil. That's going to be the thing. When people walk past here, they're going to know something happened, right? Let me tell you what, there's nothing special about a rock pillow. In fact, if you go there today, there, there, I'm sure there are people who will try and sell you this actual rock pillow, but it's not there, right? Because it wasn't about that particular pillow or that particular rock. It was about God's presence. So here's what I take away from that. I ask myself the question, what are the mundane things that are lying right in front of me that God has bestowed his sacred presence upon? Well, the reality is all of it. There isn't a distinction between sacred and secular. We sometimes try to make it seem like, well, there are sacred books and there are secular books. And there are sacred songs and secular songs. And there are sacred Super Bowl parties and secular Super Bowl parties. And I want to say nonsense, right? That God redeems it all. That he's in it all. That he uses it all. All we have to do is have eyes to see how God will use the mundane things. How can God show himself in the midst of my cornflakes? How can God show himself in the midst of my new puppy? How can God show himself in the midst of the lawnmower? How can God show himself in the midst of a corn dog? I don't know, right? But the reality is that God can show himself and reveal himself and meet me in the midst of the mundane. And if I'm only looking for shooting stars, or if I'm only looking for some sort of mystical experience, I missed the rock pillow in front of me upon which God gave me a great dream I needed at the right time. So what I'm suggesting is that maybe we recognize that everything in our life holds the potential to be a vehicle for God's grace and a vehicle for our opportunity to declare the truth to other people who who are still in the dark. Every common item becomes a vehicle for grace and worship and proclamation if used. I mean, what are we celebrating on Mission Sunday? On Mission Sunday, we're celebrating that there are all of these people that God has called to serve both here and abroad. And what is it they're doing? They're declaring the the availability of God. It's interesting, you know, Jesus himself refers to Genesis 28. I don't know if you remember it from our study in John. But in John 1... When Jesus first meets Nathanael, remember Nathanael is under a tree and Jesus comes to him and he's like, oh, Nathanael, a man in whom there is no guile. And Nathanael's like, have we met? You know me? And he's like, well, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you there. And Nathanael's like, you are the one I'm going to follow you. And Jesus goes, well, actually, let me, I won't paraphrase it. Let me just tell you. In John 1 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? you'll see greater things than these. And I'm, this is probably not Jesus's voice. It's just me doing a bit, right? So Jesus says, you will see greater things than these verse 51. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is a place where Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, which is a connection with the messianic prophecy out of Daniel Jesus looks at Nathanael and he says, you think it's cool that I spotted you under the fig tree? You ain't seen nothing yet. Because I am the latter, Jesus says. I am the thing, I am the one who makes access between heaven and earth, between God and man possible. It's why Paul will tell us in 1 Timothy that, that Jesus is our mediator. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 5 says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. John 14, 6, Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says to Nathanael, I'm the latter. You remember that story from Genesis 28 about the dream Jacob had? I, I am the way in which God and man have communion again, in which that communion is restored, Jesus is saying. So when we celebrate on a mission Sunday, when we celebrate all of these partners who are traveling all over the place, what is it they're declaring? Well, they're flipping the light switch on for people around the world who are lying on the cold, dark floor, feeling like they're tangled up, flipping on the light to say God is with you. And because of the mediator, Jesus Christ, there is a way to know God again. Because the Lord Jesus came and he took our sin upon himself. Because he died on the cross and shed his blood. Because he rose from the dead and then extended by his grace... Resurrection life to all who believe when we talk about when we talk about recognizing the sacredness of all things, our pillows becoming a, a monument, that is true for those who are traveling to Cuba and Ecuador and El Salvador and all these other places, but it 's also true for us who are just going to travel in, in about forty five minutes you know back to Placentia that God is in all of it, and all we have to do is have eyes to point people to it. There was a quote, I, I didn't quote this in the first service, but it's probably familiar to you. It came up in our teaching meeting from Elizabeth Barrett Browning in her novel, uh, Aurora Lee. And she says, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. Maybe you've heard that before. It, it's it's eyes to see that the pillow is something God can use to wake us up to who he is. The last question I want to ask you today is this. Not only uh, can your hideout be a sanctuary, can your pillow become a monument? But what if rather than a fugitive, God intends for you to be a pilgrim? What if rather than a refugee, God wants to open your eyes to the fact that, that you're not on the run from him or from others, but you're on a run with him towards others? Does that make sense? Jacob felt like he was running away from mom and dad, running, certainly running away from Esau. But what God does is he shows up and he says, hey, no, 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 I am with you. You're not running from me. You're running with me towards a future in which all the people of the earth will be blessed. All the people of the earth will be blessed through your descendant, the Lord Jesus, the mediator between God and man. I, I can't help but think there may be some sitting in the room again today who, who you, you just have spent a, too long a time thinking of yourself as a refugee or as a fugitive, somebody on the run, you're guilty and ashamed about the things you've done in the past. You don't feel like you could be used. There are too many hangups, too many issues, too many doubts, too much confusion. And I would want to say to you today, is it possible that God wants to turn on the light in your life and wake you up to the fact that you're not running from him or other people, that he wants to run with you towards the good of others, towards other people, that he wants to be in that process with us. Matthew 28, Great Commission, also appropriate for Mission Sunday. I think we, most of us have heard the Great Commission before. He says, as you go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything which I've commanded you. But what a lot of people miss in the Great Commission is the way Jesus starts that sentence and the way he finishes it. He starts by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to Jesus, not to Darren, Right. Jesus says, I got all the authority. Then he says, as you go into the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything which I've commanded you. And he finishes like this. The last thing Jesus says there, he says, hey, I'm with you. Even until the end of the age. Well, what's the message? The message in the Great Commission is the same message that God gives to Jacob in Genesis 28. You think you're alone? You're not. I'm with you and we're in this together. Is it possible, church? Is it possible that that God doesn't want you to see yourself as a fugitive, that he wants you to see yourself as a pilgrim, as a missionary? I think it is. I think it's possible that your pillow could be a monument, that your hideout is actually a sanctuary, and that your refugee status is outdone by your pilgrim status. In this chapter in 28, and we'll see this in the weeks ahead, in this chapter, we see that this becomes the place where Jacob begins to see the God of his fathers as his own. The place where Jacob begins to see the God of Abraham and Isaac as the God of Jacob. And it begins when God flips on the light with a dream, head on a rock, and things start to change from there. We're going to continue our worship this morning uh, through praying for one another. Uh, Through active and honest response. The band's going to come back up and we're going to sing together. But this time of response is meant to be dynamic. It's not meant to be static, right? So what we're looking for in response, and I don't mean what we as a church are looking for. I mean what we as individuals are looking for is what's an honest response to how God may be stirring in you right now. God may be stirring in you in a way that has nothing to do with what I just preached. Uh, He may be stirring in you a thing that's in this text that I missed. He could be stirring in you something somebody said to you last week, whatever. I, I don't know what God is stirring in you. But as we respond, there are opportunities to respond in a dynamic way. You can stand up. You can sit down. You can put your hands in the air. You can lay down on the floor. You can dance. It doesn't matter what it looks like. What we're looking for is a posture of honesty in response. The elders and the staff are going to come and make themselves available here in the front to pray with you. And that's just us being family. That's just going, hey, if you've got stuff going on, churning in you or God moving in you, and you just want to walk the path with another human being... Here are some human beings available to walk the path with you if that's, if that's something God might prompt in you. But as we sing and as we respond, the most important piece, not, not whether you stand or sit or sing or don't, the most important piece is what is God honestly doing in you? And can you be brave enough and can you be honest enough to respond in truth? And whatever that looks like is welcome in this space as we respond to God's movement among us. Let me pray. God, Move in us. That's all, that's all we ever want. We, we want to see the ways in which our hideouts become sanctuaries and our pillows become monuments and our running away becomes a running toward. Will you move in us and give us the courage and the honesty to just be true and to respond to you in a way uh, that is a, a, a real reflection of how you're moving in us? We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.